Well, hello everyone. This is uh, Kennard Brown speaking to you. If you've heard me already today, I've decided to do this program over because some listeners, uh, in particular my wife and my son, just told me that it did not sound very clear. I was fading in and fading out. I've had that problem now for the past two programs. So what I'm going to do is get me a headset that I can attach to my phone. In the meantime, I'm going to go ahead and record using my real audio that I have, and hopefully this uh, recording will be very clear to you. So I am your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is December 26, 2009. Uh, this is a pre-recorded rebroadcast of What Husbands Should Do, Part 1 and 2. I'm going to combine both parts. Because, as I stated, uh, some listeners, uh, in particular my wife and my son, told me that the sound quality is bad. Now, in the meantime, I'm recording this Bible study using, as I stated before, real audio, and I'll upload this to the Blog Talk Radio website when I'm finished. Now, what I want to talk about first is world news, and this broadcast may be more than 60 minutes because I'm combining both. But before I get into what husbands should do, I have some very important information that I did announce in the first broadcast, but you may not have heard it clearly because it was fading in and fading out. The Fall of the Republic and the Endgame by Alex Jones. I highly recommend that you access those videos online by typing in The Fall of the Republic on YouTube, on their search engine, and you'll be able to access a free 2-hour and 24-minute documentary on what's really going on in the world right now and in the United States. Also, The Endgame. I recommend you highly get that as well because that will describe to you what the elite is doing not only to this country but to all countries worldwide. I highly recommend also that you review the following articles on InfoWars.com. That's www.info, I-N-F-O, Wars, W-A-R-S.com. This is Alex Jones' website. He's one of the few reporters that is actually reporting to you what the real news is, the complete news is, because uh, he's not controlled by the elite. The long list of economists warn against federal debt spending. That is, uh, you need to type that on his search engine, on his website, on infowars.com, that's I-N-F-O-W-A-R-S.com, and access that article. Some very interesting things in that article. Also, Copenhagen or Hagen, Summit has established a world government. That's another headline to an article. Copenhagen or Hagen, Summit has established a world government. Now, Copenhagen or Hagen is in Denmark. And what... Let me go get my Bible here. What has been going on, if you don't aren't aware of it, because I don't think they're covering too much on CNN or the other um, popular media outlets, or mediums, is right now the elite is trying to create a carbon tax uh, on the, because they are deceitfully teaching that it's because of carbon dioxide that we have climate change, and that has been proven wrong by over, I think it's over 30,000 sciences, uh, so it's not a consensus that every scientist believes that, and yet they're trying to tax taxes to death basically through this tax and other taxes and Daniel chapter 7 if you have a Bible please uh, I recommend you 
you get your Bible and follow along with me here because all I do in my broadcast, if you're familiar with my broadcast, all I do is get the Bible out and I quote scriptures. That's all any true minister of God should be doing. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 23, says, Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse or different from all kingdoms, and shall be devoured the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be different or diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. He shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time, times, and a dividing of time of three and a half years, because a time in biblical prophecy in most cases means a year. So, uh, this tells you what's going on as I'm speaking. This this beast power that's rising before our eyes, and the beast is, is really a power block or a kingdom or a government, and is a a government that is a dictatorship, and that's what's starting to happen right before our eyes. Tyranny is involved in it. James chapter five. James chapter five. beginning in verse 1, states the following. It says, Go to now, you rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, that word cankered means corroded, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days, which is the days of the 21st century. Verse 4, Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, cries and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabaoth, or armies. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and he does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth, and has long patience for it until he receives the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draws near. Verse 9. Grudge not one another. Grudge not one against another, brethren. That night you be condemned. Behold, the judge stands before the door. And when you go to Revelation chapter 3, it talks about the same thing that is going on here, but this is uh, targeting um, God's churches or assemblies or called out ones. Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 1, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he that have the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Wait a minute, this is Sardis. I need to go to Laodicea. <laughs> uh, Revelation 3, verse 14, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, and that's what Jesus is, ladies and gentlemen. He's the beginning of the creation of God. That's what he said. Verse 15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I would spoo thee out of my mouth, because you say, I am rich. Let me adjust my mic here. I am rich. And increase with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest 
not that you are wretched and miserable and poor, blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich, and white raiment that you may be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyes salve, that you may see. As many as I love I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him, and he will sup with I will sup with him, and he with me. Okay? So he's telling you that uh, he's willing to, to eat with you and eat dinner with you if you just behave yourself. That's what he's saying, basically. To him that overcome will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne, he that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. So that's the, the time period that we're in right now where there's a big gap between the rich and the poor. That's what's going on right now if we turn to Proverbs 30, verse 8. Proverbs 30, verse 8. Proverbs 30, verse 8 states plainly, no, not verse 8. That's a good scripture to, to review too, but in verse 14 it says, There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. As I'm speaking right now, ladies and gentlemen, 25,000 plus children will die worldwide because they have no food to eat. That's the kind of generation that we live in today. And we can easily solve that problem. The problem of basic necessities for all humans upon the earth, the financial solution to that is just close to $48 billion, that's what would be, $48 billion a year. And as I was, I was stating earlier today, before I realized I had to do a rebroadcast of this show, is that during this Christmas season, we have spent almost ten times as much as that to to do that. We we spent uh, approximately uh, close to 450 to 480 billion dollars. So we do have the capability. We do have the capability to to eliminate. Um, the horrible situation where there's not enough food, clothes, and shelter for every human being on the earth, we just don't do it. We we feel that we have other things that's more important than that, and of course God says nay to that. But anyway, another article for you to review on the Infowars.com website is 2010 Food Crisis Means Financial Armageddon. And you can go on his website, www.infowars.com, and put 2010 Food Crisis Means Financial Armageddon on there, and you should be able to find that article. And this is, again, something that the Bible has already predicted. Uh, Revelation chapter 6, Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse 5, it states, And when he had heard the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see, and I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see that you don't hurt the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked and beheld a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death. And hell followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth, that's 25% of the earth, to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. So that is 
occurring, or the genesis of it is occurring as I'm speaking, ladies and gentlemen. And I have a little commentary here from my King James Study Bible. It says, the third seal represents inflation and famine. The balances or scales are related to commerce and trade. The word penny, better transliterated, denarius, represented about one day's wages. Wheat and barley were considered necessities of life. A measure was about one quart. The price given is about ten times what was normal. The command, hurt not the oil and the wine, may indicate a restriction on the effects of the famine in this early part of the tribulation. And then, of course, the fourth seal brings death to a fourth of the population of earth through war, famine, and pestilence. Death takes lives in the hill, holds them for judgment. So that is a, probably a really good uh, commentary on those particular uh, scriptures. Uh, so I just wanted to point that out. We are living in dangerous times, ladies and gentlemen, and we need to take uh, God's word seriously, and we need to repent and do what we need to, to make sure that uh, we will be in his uh, immortal and wonderful and beautiful kingdom. Now, we're going to discuss what husbands should do, but first, since uh, if husbands and wives or one or the other don't behave themselves, divorce happens uh, more often than not. Let's read statistics on divorce and let's, let's, let's get the facts. And if you want to do this research on your own and look at this, kindly put the following in the Google search engine. Uh, the facts, rates, and statistics of divorce. It's called the facts, rates, and statistics of divorce. The facts, a comma. The facts, comma, rates and statistics of divorce. And you should come up with um, C-L-I-V-I-R's Cleaver. That's the name of the website. And it will give you the following statistics that I'm going to state here for you. It says divorce rates. Over the past 30 years or so, the divorce rate has actually been in a decline. In 2008, divorce lawyers saw a decline of 37% in people filing for divorce. Even in this tough economic time, people are choosing to stay together. It appears the only state not showing any decline at all is Utah. In 2008, the state showed approximately 13,000 filings for the year. It appears that 2009 is not showing any slowdown. Even though the rate has declined over time, it is still sitting between 40 and 50 percent. Age seems to have something to do with it if a marriage will survive or not. Looking at the average age of those who divorce, the majority are between the ages of 20 to around 24. Not to say older people don't divorce as well, but the rate drops to 5.1% for women and 6.1% for men over the age of 35. Now, the divorce rate for a second and third marriage rises considerably compared to a first marriage. With a second marriage, approximately 67% in a divorce and 74% for a third marriage. Studies show that the divorce rate for a childless couple is slightly lower than a couple with children. Being childless in a marriage is also a leading cause for divorce. Feelings of loneliness and sadness because of lack of children leads many couples to divorce. In fact, 66% of divorced couples are childless. Divorce statistics. The number of marriages in the United States is approximately 2,230,000 as per year. The rate of marriages is about 7.5 individuals per 1,000 per capita whereas the divorce rate is 3.5 per 1,000 per capita. This is from 48 states who have reported along with D.C. The lowest reported divorce rate was in D.C. with 1.7% followed by Massachusetts with 2.2% and Pennsylvania at 2.5%. The state 
with the most reported divorces was Nevada at 6.4% per 1,000 people. Now, more Americans tend to get married between June and October than at any other time of the year. August had the most marriages at about 235,000, or a rate of 9.3% per 1,000 people, the lowest month tending to be January. Custodial mothers make up 43.7%, and custodial fathers make up 56.7% of divorced couples. Surprising when you think that mothers tend to achieve custody of children after divorce. Only, 66, only 67% rather, only 67% of children in the United States grow up with biological parents in the home. It is the lowest rate in the Western world. Now, divorce facts. Some interesting facts about divorce and marriage are, according to Brides Magazine, the average age for a woman to get married is 27, while for men is 29. Around 88% of both men and women from the ages of 20 to 27 believe they have a soul made out there waiting for them. 59% of marriages for those age 18 will end in divorce within 15 years. The divorce rate drops to 36% for those married at age 26 or older. Recently, there is a trend to live together before getting married. Now, recently, again, there is a trend to live together before getting married. Let me drink some water. I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back. The average of those who cohabitate before marriage is around 65%. What is interesting about this, statistics indicate the couples who live together before getting married are more likely to divorce than those who do not, and that's pretty interesting. Studies show that after seven years, only about 21% of couples who are living together still work. Children who come from a divorced home are more likely to get divorced themselves. This is especially true if their partner also came from a divorced home. If both spouses came from a divorced home, their chances of divorcing nearly tripled to 189%. To 189%. Women who have had a child out of wedlock are less likely to get married, especially after 35. Only 70% of mothers who have had a child before marrying will get married compared to 88% of women who have never had a child. While the rates of people divorcing are high, they have declined over the years. People are trying to work things out before seeking a permanent solution, which is positive. These facts and statistics change every year, sometimes drastically. One thing is certain divorce is always fluid. In other words, it's very uh, <laughs> it's unpredictable, basically, and it's very fluid, and what you expect, you may not expect, vice versa. So that's what that's referring to, basically. So that's the facts on divorce, ladies and gentlemen. So let's get into the Bible study about uh, what husbands should do. And I'm going to focus on the husbands first because uh, we are, are supposed to be anyway, the example to the wife and to the children. So let's focus on what husbands should do. Now, the scripture I'm going to start out with is in Genesis. So if you have a Bible, get one. I encourage you to get one out and, and listen to what I have to say here. Uh, all I'm going to do is quote the scriptures. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 starting in verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So man is supposed to have dominion. And let me look up that word here in the original Hebrew so that you'll get a better understanding of what it means. That's Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Okay. 
Okay, that word dominion in Hebrew is radal, and it means to subjugate, to prevail against, to, to reign. So we should be reigning over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, everything, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Verse 27, So God created man in his image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he him. So I want you to focus on that one verse there, and we're going to talk about this, do a midrash or exegesis or go into detail about this. Now, it states here that the image of God, it states what the image of God is, male and female. These are two beings. So God created man in his image, and he created him in the image of male and female. So that means that God himself must consist of two beings. So I just want you to understand that. So this is confirmed basically when you look at the following scripture here in John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, turn to uh, John chapter 1. And we're going to look at a significant scripture here. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning of God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. And what that's referring to, ladies and gentlemen, is... Uh, Jesus, or Yeshua, that's his Hebrew name. And it says, In him was life, and Jesus was light, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. Alright, and in verse 14 it says, And the world, and the word rather, was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Alright, so we know that God consists of two beings God the Father, and the Word of God, which is Jesus Christ. And that death is pretty scriptural there. Now, in John chapter 10, well, let me go back and focus on what man is. Man consists of male and female. And Genesis 1 verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish, verse 28, uh, it means fill the earth and subdue it. So he's commanding them to, to subdue the earth and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So I want you to understand something. Male and female have this authority. So it's just not the man's role. It's also the female's role to rule over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So I know it's a tendency for husbands to not think that a woman has a significant role, but she does. A woman came from us, ladies and gentlemen, or you husbands, and we have to treat them with respect. They are a part of us, and we need to start acting like they are. And they have a role to play as well. So anyway, getting back to who the Word of God is here, 
and the word of God is uh, Jesus Christ, or Yeshua Messiah. Christ means uh, Messiah in Hebrew. Uh, John chapter 10. John chapter 10, starting in verse 30. It says, I and my Father are one. Now, they're just not one being, but that word one means that they are in union. They agree on everything. And then John chapter 17, John chapter 17, John chapter 17, starting in verse 21, states the following. He prayed to his Father that we may all be one, as you, Father, are to me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. All right, so that's the overall goal here. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and has loved them as thou have loved me. Now that's the goal also for mankind. We looked at when we look at First Corinthians chapter fifteen. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Now. In verse 28, it states, actually it says this. Let me just start in verse 21 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is a good chapter, by the way, to understand why you were born, the purpose of man, and what God has in store for us uh, in the future. He just highlights on it a little bit. But it tells you the potential of man here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, also in Hebrews chapter 2. Anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For since by man came death, by man also the resurrection of the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21, and then 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Christ the first truth, after, after, afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. In other words, he's going to put down all resistance. Anyone that resists God won't be around. Verse 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. In other words, if death is destroyed, then sin will be destroyed, because sin causes death. Verse 27, for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he said all things are put under him, and talking about Jesus, it is manifest that he is accepted. In other words, the Father is accepted which did put all things under him. So the Father put all things under Christ, which means that, of course, the Father is greater than Christ. Verse 28, And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So that is the goal for God to be all in all spirits, that we all agree with him, and we all are one, just like Jesus and the Father are one right now. That's the overall goal for all of mankind. The first starts with the church, or the, the called out ones, the, the ones that, that do understand the truth of God, the assembly of God, and then it's going to expand to all other human beings in the future. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 10. States, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, that you shall be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. That's the goal for believers. That's the goal also for, for married folks. 
is to, to speak the same thing. Then 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. It says, For as the body is one and have many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, be, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, and I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the whole body were an eye, were where is the hip? Where is the hearing, rather? If the whole were hearing, where is the smelling? But now have God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it has pleased him. And if they were all one member, where is the body? But now there are many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble or unpresentable or weak that's a better word or weak are necessary and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable upon these will bestow more abundant honor and our uncomely parts or our unpresentable parts have more abundant comeliness or modesty for our comely parts have no need but God has tempered the body together having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked that there should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. So that, that's the way our attitude should be with, with those that are in the true church of God or the assembly of God as well as a married couple. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. So I just wanted to read that, the concept of being one, and also the fact that when you're one, it doesn't necessarily mean it's just one being. It's, it's, it can be a, a number of people, but they're all unified as one. So I just wanted to explain that concept to you using the Bible. Okay, and then also understand that God looks at Christ in the church as an analogy for a marriage. as an example of how a marriage relationship should be. Ephesians chapter 5. And he states, uh, starting in verse 31. Ephesians 5 verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and, they sh and, and, and two shall be one flesh. Now, I have to say this for those who may be gay or thinking about becoming gay or whatever, homosexuality. The Bible does not talk about that in a positive uh, fashion. And I'm just telling you like it is. Uh, as you see here, this verse does not say that a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his husband. Neither does it say a wife shall leave her father and mother and join to his, her wife. Okay, so it doesn't say that. To be one flesh, as far as God is concerned, it involves, and I'm going to prove that to you here in a minute, it involves a husband and a wife and how can children obey and if they have kids a husband and wife 
How can the children correctly obey the commandment to honor your father and your mother? It doesn't say honor your father and your father or honor your, your mother and your mother. All right, it has to be a father and it has to be a mother. So, I mean, that's just common sense. But when you sin, you start to lose common sense, unfortunately. All right, so anyway, this verse it says, Ephesians 5, verse 31, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And let me just say this, this is common sense. From the man comes the sperm, from the woman comes the ovum. When the sperm unites with the ovum, you get an embryo. The embryo is a human being. There's no way that man can naturally, without messing up what God has already created, can make a sperm into a, an ovum or an ovum into a sperm, even though they're talking about that as I'm speaking, trying to do that. You know, I was just reading a recent article. But naturally, that has not been the way God has done things. And all man is going to do, if he's able to do that, is, is pervert what God has already created. He created a sperm to unite with an ovum to create an embryo. But man wants to do things his own way. And he's going to really, really, really incite the wrath of God if he continues to do that. So, what did Jesus say? Because many people say, well, that's the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament. And by the way, I, I encourage each and every one of you that are listening to me, I have on my feature on the Blog Talk Radio uh, website, my Blog Talk Radio website, I have as the feature program is the Law of Moses nailed to the cross. You really need to listen to that if you think that the Law of Moses has been nailed to the cross. That has been a big deception by the devil himself that he has deceived people for thousands of years that the Law of Moses is not the Law of God and it has been nailed to the cross. Uh, for example, one of the things, let me, let me just give you an example, just to give you a preview of what you're going to be listening to. You turn to Leviticus, and then some of you may listen, well, that's old, that's the old, that's the old covenant. Well, do you realize that the most popular phrase of Christianity, probably, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, came from the Old Testament? Uh, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. It says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but you shall love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So Christ got that from the Old Testament. Now, let me just give you an example of a couple of um, commandments that um, should not be nailed across logically. And Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13 is an example. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. Colon, continue the thought. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. So, someone should be paid every day. And how are people paid in this country? And it may be that way worldwide as well. Every two weeks, sometimes every month, some, some are paid every year. Uh, <laughs> That's not the way God designed it. He states here, The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. Uh, someone should be paid daily every day. So should that law be nailed to the cross? What about the law of, in verse 29 here, said, Do not prostitute thy daughter to cause her to be a whore. That not the land fall to whoredom, and the land become full of wickedness. 
should that be nailed to the cross, ladies and gentlemen? So, you know, that's just an example or preview of uh, some of the surprises, perhaps, that you would hear about what God says in his word about the law of Moses, which is the law of God, as that Bible study would prove to you. So anyway, if you look on the feature, it has, is the law of Moses nailed to the cross? And then part two of this very important Bible study, it's a six-hour Bible study, uh, each Bible study is two hours, what is sin? And the third one is one law for all of mankind. I suggested you review each and one of those. You can access it by scrolling down and clicking on previous programs, and uh, you can access those programs by going back, or you can type those programs, the title of those programs on the search engine. You should be able to find them with my name, Kenard Levi, L-E-V-I Brown, you should, and they should be able to pop up. Like, what is sin? Kenard Levi Brown in the search engines, and you should be able to find that. Or type in uh, One Law for All of Mankind, Kennard, Levi Brown, K-E-N-N-A-R-D, middle, um, middle name, rather, L-E, L as in laughter, E as in elephant, V as in Valentine, I, and then Brown, B-R-O-W-N, and you should be able to find those programs like that. All right, so let's turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. It says, And it came to pass that when Jesus finished these things, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea, which is the West Bank today, beyond Jordan, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? So now we know that they're talking about, we understand the context, we're talking about marriage and divorce. Verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them, at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for the, so Christ said here he didn't make a married couple, male and male, or female and female. He said that he made them male and female. This is, this is Christ's own words in red letters here. Verse 5, And he said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Verse 6, Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And this is somewhat of a prophecy here, because that's what we're doing today in this country and worldwide. We're trying to put asunder the institution of marriage. And Christ has explained marriage here. He's explaining marriage, what marriage is. It's between a male and a female, not between two males and two females. Anyway, verse 7. They say unto them, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorces and put on her way? Verse 8, he said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, allowed or suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication or sexual sins, including adultery and having sex before marriage and all kinds of other abominable sexual sins uh, that's described in, I think it's Leviticus uh, chapter 18. Yeah, Leviticus chapter, I'm just checking to make sure I'm giving you the right chapter here. Yeah, Leviticus chapter uh, 18. And then also, let's see, Leviticus chapter 22, I think, talks about other things as well. Let's see. Actually, yeah, Leviticus chapter, uh, yeah, Le Leviticus chapter 20, I'm sorry. Yeah, Leviticus chapter 20 
talks about other uh, sexual sins, uh, abominable sexual sins, as a matter of fact. And then Leviticus chapter 18 talks about it. Okay, so those are the two chapters if you want to understand God's perspective on what fornication is. Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 18 and Leviticus chapter 20. You'll get a, a real good detailed description of, of uh, what Christ said, uh, the exception for divorce is. All right, so he says, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except to be for fornication, and shall marry another, commit of adultery, and whosoever marry her, which is put away, does commit adultery. All right, so that I just wanted to point out that Christ defined marriage, despite what people incorrectly teach. So let's turn now to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 and 19. Okay, and we're going to go over this significant scripture here, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 16. It says, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you, or dominate her. Not, not in a fierce way, but in, in a righteous way. In verse 17, Unto Adam he said, because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife. So this obviously means that sometimes our wives can be wrong. And when they are, we have to be strong and not be like Adam and, and do what is right. But anyway, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Curse is the ground for thy sake, and sour shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shall you eat bread till you return unto the ground, for out of it was you taken, for thus you are, and unto thus you shall return. So the curse uh, of, of, in reference to a man for the sin that he committed was that the, the ground is cursed and we have to work harder than what we should have to produce food or get food from the earth. And it's going to be great effort because in verse 18, 19 read it says in the sweat of thy face you, you shall you eat bread in other words it's going to be a lot of effort it's not going to be easy and notice though that he did not he did not command the woman to work from the sweat of her brow but he commanded the man to do so in the sweat of thy face shall you eat bread all right so that is something that a man should be more concerned with than a woman as far as producing uh, working and providing and a wife should help her husband, but she should not be the full support. And I'm going to get into that later on in the Bible study. So, to also prove that a man is the leader of the wife, let's turn to Numbers chapter 30. Numbers chapter 30, starting verse 6 to 8. It says, And if she had at all a husband, when she vowed, now remember a vow means a thing, promised or a promise to God okay so in that context let's understand verse 6 of Numbers chapter 30 and if she had at all a husband when she vowed at other all out of her lips whereof she bound her soul or her life and her husband heard it and he held his peace at her in the day that he heard it then her vows shall stand and her bonds whereof she bound her soul shall stand but if her husband disallowed her or annulled or invalidated her vow or promise her on the day that he heard it, then he shall make her vow which she vowed, and that which she uttered with her lips, wherein she bound her soul of none effect, and the Lord shall forgive her. So 
right there shows you that God looks at the man to be the final decision maker, not the woman. And I have the scriptural proof there, detailed proof. First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So this, this show is, is God's perspective. If you don't like God's perspective, then, you know, don't listen to the rest of this and do your own thing. But this is God's perspective, and if you want to know what God feels about this, then please continue to listen to what I have to say. Uh, all I'm doing is quoting scriptures here. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. So my boss is not my wife, it's, it's Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. So every woman's boss is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Okay, so that's, that's basically what it's telling you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, in reference to that. And that's the governmental structure. <laughs> and God did not create, let's go a little, little further here. In verse 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman is of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman was created for the man. For this caused all the women to have power on her head because of the angels, or she ought to uh, be in subjection. Verse 11, Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. So we are interdependent of one another. Interdependent. Verse 12, For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also of the woman, but all things of God. Alright, so this is also saying that a man depends on a woman. But still, there, there's a structure, and that is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. And some women that you're listening to this right now may not like that, but that's the way God has done things. We've been deceived. Uh, it was never God's intention for a woman to get out like a man and work like a man. And I'm going to prove that to you. Uh, on the contrary, God has a lot of other things to say about a woman that I think you may be pleasantly surprised. Uh, what he has revealed your role should be, women. But anyway, we're focusing on the men right now, the husbands. So, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 25, states, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. So one of the responsibilities of a husband is to uh, teach his wife teach his wife the word of God and through the word of God it does wash our mind spiritually of wickedness verse 27 that he might present it present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy so it should be holy it should be holy and without blemish so ought men to love their wives of their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth, even as the Lord the church. So I did give an example earlier before I have to do this rebroadcast, but I'm going to give another example. 
Say, for instance, uh, you break your your uh, you break your uh, your arm. You're not going to let your arm just sit there, right, and and just try to heal itself without being mended back together again. No, what you're going to do is go to the hospital, have the doctor put the because uh, I never thank God I never had a broken bone and uh, hopefully I never will, but uh, put the broken bone back together again so that it can heal. Well, that's the way you ought to treat your wife when your wife may say something wrong and do something wrong. Treat it gently, just like you treated your, your injury of your body gently. And you went to the doctor and you did what you are supposed to do, and the doctor took it and gently put it back. So what I'm trying to say is that when you correct your wife, when you tell her the way things ought to go, don't be harsh, don't be cruel. And look at your own body as an example. You're not going to treat your, your broken arm cruel, cruelly, right? Because if you did, what what's going to happen? It's not going to heal properly. Same thing with your wife. If you yell and scream and holler at her and, and don't treat her with respect, she's not going to respect you properly. She's not going to give you the type of honor and reverence that God commands her to do. You're going to make it much more difficult for her to do. Of course, a wife has her role in all that. I'm going to explain that next week. But for now, again, we're just focusing on the men. And verse 30, it says, For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Verse 32, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So, as I stated earlier, the relationship between Christ and the church is similar to the relationship between a husband and a wife. Because... Christ is a type of husband, and the church is a type of wife. And Isaiah 54, even in the Old Testament times, that was the case. The, the husband was uh, Yeshua, Jesus Christ, in his pre-existence form. I'm going to prove that to you here. But first, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 54, starting in verse 5. It says, For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. This is talking about... Uh, Yeshua Messiah, as I'm going to prove to you, or Jesus Christ. Now, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Starting in verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that our fathers were under our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Alright, so the rock was Christ and then some people say that's not good enough for proof. Well, this is. This, uh, verse 9, it says, Neither let us tempt Christ and some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. So they tempted Christ, and, and he said that some of them uh, tempted and were destroyed of serpents. So that proves right there that the God of the Old Testament was uh, Yeshua Messiah. And there's other scriptures too, like in John states that no one has ever seen the Father, so they've never seen the Father or heard his voice. Who, who is uh, the God that they saw? Well, of course, it must have been the Word of God. It was Yeshua Messiah. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 2 
For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, who is Christ, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Okay, so the virgin is, and it's talking about spiritual, not physical. <laughs> the virgin is the assembly of God, and the husband is Christ. So the relationship between Christ and church is similar to the relationship between a husband and a wife. So I just want to explain that to you. Let me get a drink of water, I'll be right back. Okay, how many minutes have I been recording here? About 52 minutes? Oh, not that bad, I'm making a good time here. It's probably going to go over a little, over an hour, but that's okay. Alright, now, what is a righteous man? Let's, let's, first of all, focus on what God says a righteous man is. Let's turn to Psalm 112. Psalm 112, and starting in verse 1, it says, Praise ye the Lord, blessed is the man that fears the Lord. What is fear? What is uh, godly fear? Fear, Godly fear is listed in Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8, I'll move my microphone here a little bit. Proverbs 8, starting in verse 13. And what that is, is it states plainly that, well, let's turn to Proverbs 8, verse 13. Proverbs 8, verse 13. Proverbs 8, verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. So that's the fear of the Lord, is to hate evil. So that's one of the things that God expects of a righteous man to be. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments, that really wants to study. They don't look for excuses not to Bible study. In other words, look for excuses to Bible study. Verse 2, his seed or his children shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth, and that means just what you need, and then riches, that means exactly riches, shall be in his house, and his righteousness endureth forever. So God does provide what you need, and also will give you an over uh, an overabundance of more, just like he did with Abraham and Joseph. Once you prove that you can handle it, and let me explain how you can handle it. First uh, Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 17. It says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. If you desire to be rich, which, you know, most people, they desire to be rich for themselves, but if you want to righteously desire to be rich, desire to be rich so that you can be of great help to mankind, that you can distribute your, your resources to, to others. And in Proverbs chapter 30, Proverbs chapter 30, Proverbs chapter 30, starting... And verse, yeah, verse 8, it says, Remove far from me vanity and lies, neither give me poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, 
and this is the reason why, verse 9, that night I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or at least I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. So that's the reason why he or God motivated this individual who wrote this particular uh, chapter in Proverbs not to desire to be rich or poor, so that he would not, what does it say in verse 9, deny, not be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or that not I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Most people, when they make a lot of money, can't handle it. They start to get, they start to just lose it and, and start to do all kinds of abominable things that they shouldn't be doing. But there are exceptions, and like I said, in the Bible, Abraham and, and Joseph and Jacob and Isaac and, and a few others, uh, Job, uh, were able to handle riches. But most people, unfortunately, can't handle it. They just allow the riches to destroy them. Ezekiel, that's why most people who are definitely believers, that's why we're not blessed with riches, because we'll just lose our minds, basically, and start to to uh, use the money in the wrong way. Ezekiel. Chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18, beginning in verse uh, 5, it says, and if, But if a man be just, and do that which is lawful and right, and has not eaten upon the mountains, neither have lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, neither have defiled his neighbor's wife, neither has come near to him, Mistress woman, in other words, having sex with, a, with your wife, and she's on her period. Verse 7. It have not oppressed any, but has restored to the debtor his pledge, has spoiled none by violence, have given his bread to the hungry, and has covered the naked with a garment. He hath not given forth upon usury or interest, neither has he taken any increase, that have withdrawn his hand from iniquity, has executed true judgment between man and man and have walked in my statutes, and have kept my judgments to deal truly. He is just, he shall surely live, says the Lord God. So this is a person that is uh, very righteous, and includes, of course, a wife, so this is a righteous husband as well. And that is the model that God looks at in regards to a husband being righteous. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Now, who, who's an example in the Bible that we can follow? Abraham is, because Abraham in, in Romans chapter 4, verse 16 says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he hath believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Okay, so we know that Abraham is called the father of the faithful. Now, why is he? Let's turn to Genesis chapter 18 to find out. Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, starting in verse 19. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. So, that was the character trait of Abraham, that he would obey the law. That he would obey the law. And that is very important. It reminds me of the scripture here in uh, 1 Kings. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 2. Starting in verse 3.
Okay, first Kings chapter first Kings chapter two, starting in verse two rather. Actually let's start in verse one, let's get the context here. First Kings chapter two, verse one. Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die or near, and he charged or commanded Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth, be thou strong therefore, and show thyself a man. Now how's he going to show that he's a man? Let's continue on. Verse three and keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies that is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and whatsoever thou turnest thyself. And whithersoever thou turnest thyself. So the way toward being prosperous as men is to obey God. Now let's turn to Psalm. This is a scripture I didn't quote, but it just popped in my mind here. Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is what he looks forward to. Just like it's his favorite telephone, uh, not telephone, but television program. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate or think about it day and night. Or he ponders it. And it says, states right here, verse 3, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in the season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. So, but what the righteous has to do to be righteous, to be a righteous husband or man, you have to delight. You have to really delight in the law, in the law of God. You shouldn't just read, oh, I have to read the Bible. You should want to read the Bible. And when you do that, God promises to prosper, prosper you in everything that you do. Now, this leads into something that's very important for husbands is we are the sole providers, not the wife. And let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, starting in verse 8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So this is talking about a man not providing for his own. And it states that you are worse than someone who doesn't believe or keep the teachings or Torah or, or law of God. Now, the word law is translated, to, I mean, the word Torah throughout the Bible, even in the New Testament, is translated law. And it should be Torah or Torah, which means the teachings and doctrines of God. So we're worse than someone who doesn't even believe and the teachings of God or his law when we don't take care of our family. So that, that is very important to God. And he inspired Paul to, to tell you how important that is. Now, one of the things you, you, you must understand, too, is that it's a shame for a woman to support a husband. And I'm going to go to a book called the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha are additional writings that uh, was written around biblical times. Uh, by by Jews, uh, they're not recognized as official scriptures. However, it has a lot of background and it, it helps you actually understand the scriptures uh, in a way where you see how they are applied. So I'm going to use this one. Um, it's, it's Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes rather, Ecclesiasticus rather. I'm sorry, is Ecclesiasticus or Sirach. Uh, chapter 25 so let's 
me look at my uh, program here and so Sirach or Ecclesiasticus chapter 25 and in verse 22 of the Apocrypha says a woman if she maintain her husband is full of anger impudence and much reproach so <laughs> that's something that uh, and I, I know from experience of hearing other things about how wives are taken over from their husbands and, and and so forth, I know that that is true. A woman does get a little irritated and full of anger when she's supporting her husband. That's not natural. A woman shouldn't be supporting her husband. It should be the other way around. And then let me turn to the new Oxford. By the way, if you want a complete Bible with the Apocrypha and then with references to, say, for instance, there's one scripture and then it gives you another reference of a similar script, uh, writing that's found in the Apocrypha to help expound or explain in detail that biblical scripture, then I would encourage you to get the New Oxford Annotated Bible. It's the New Revised Standard Version with the Apocrypha. So I, I suggest that you get that. And let me go find this scripture here that I wanted to uh, go over. So that is the New Oxford Annotated Bible. So anyway, let me find Sirach here, Ecclesiasticus, chapter 25. This is a different uh, translation, but still, I'm sure you'll get the... It says, There is wrath and impudence and great disgrace when a wife supports her husband. Let's look up the word impudence using my Merriam-Webster dictionary here. It's not a word that I use too often. Impudent. Okay. Impudent. Whoa. I guess this is an old English uh, <laughs> impudence. I M P. I'm not even finding it. And oh, here it is. Impudence. Lacking discretion or discretion, marked by contemptuous boldness or disregard of others. So you don't want your wife acting like that. <laughs> so, so I encourage you, man, to get with it. And that's an encouragement to me too. I do the best I can to make sure that I. Uh, support my wife, do the best I can to support my wife. Now, in some cases, ladies and gentlemen, the economy is messed up and, and wives have to get out there and work. And this is a situation where the husband's not doing all he can. If the husband's not doing, if you husbands, anyone of you listening, not doing, you know you can do better and you're not doing better, then this is when this will apply. You're not making the goal and striving to be able to bring your wife home from working so she can uh, mend the house and take care of, of things in the house and then spend the money that you make, and I'm sure that they would enjoy doing that. Uh, that that applies to someone, a, a husband that's basically lazy, not using his time properly, not improving, not doing the things that he needs to do to be able to support his wife when his wife doesn't have to support him and be the sole financial breadwinner. And that, that is a reversal role, and that's something that God does not approve of a wife to do for a husband, unless, of course, if a husband ain't going to work, then what choice does she have to do? She has to take over. 
Okay. And men, also I want to state that I do, I've heard excuses in the past, so well, you know, I don't have the time, I have to have a full-time job, where there's no excuses, men. You could uh, take correspondence courses that are very affordable, monthly payments at no interest. Uh, you can also uh, take um, courses to help you to become a writer, uh, to make money uh, writing sales letters or developing websites and so forth. You can self-teach yourself. All you need is the desire to do so. So what if you don't know how to type? You can learn how to type, too. There's a lot of things that, that you can do for yourself. And if you are interested in finding out more information about this husband or wives who have husbands that are humble enough to listen to you, then please, uh, you could uh, email me at canard at mercifulservantsofgod.com. That's canard, K as in kite, E as in elephant, two N's as in Nancy, A-R-D, at mercifulservants, with an S, of God.com. So canard at mercifulservantsofgod.com. And kindly email me. Uh, information uh, that, that that you will request information on my husband or for yourself. I mean, it's nothing wrong with uh, women taking courses to improve themselves and and, and assist their husband on, on how you could improve your skills and abilities or acquire a new skill or trade and still be able to work a full-time job. I have information on that. Plus, I have information on on taking a test. It's called the Strong Interest Survey, Strong Campbell's Interest Survey Test. I took this test when I was 27 or 28 years old, and it, it is a vocational interest test, and it shows you what your vocational interests are. Now, the way to use this test is once you find out what your vocational interests are, that you get all the education that you need based on that interest to produce a livable income. Many people assume that if someone has a job, then they're okay. No. Someone is only okay if they have the income or the wages to be able to live comfortably. If they don't, then the job that they have is not good enough. So, and say, for instance, if you're married and if you have a job working at McDonald's, how is that going to support the family, even on a full-time basis? It's not. If you have a wife and you have children, making, what, 10 bucks an hour is not going to do it. All the, the taxes that they charge and so forth. All right, so 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 7, states this. It says, Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of, of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So we must respect our wives and, and, and treat them like queens, because that's what they are. And we need to give them honor and respect and realize that they're the weakest vessel uh, physically and perhaps is talking also spiritually because what happened? I mean, Eve is the one that got tricked. Adam was not tricked. And you know what happened. You know what happened. So uh, we, we've got to understand that, that women uh, have a tendency to be the weaker vessel and we have to understand it as men, and we must uh, treat her gently, love her like we would love her body, and realize that she is our equal as far as potential to uh, have a share and ruin the universe with God the Father and Jesus Christ. And she is also our equal as far as 
having authority over the earth. That is that commandment to to a man and to a female, to a man and female. So a female also has jurisdiction over the entire earth, like a man does. So let's let's realize the incredible authority that that a woman has. This is that as far as a marriage is concerned, as far as the men are concerned, a woman is second in command. And you know, women should not be leading men in any type of uh, public official capacity, etc. I mean, that, that's not really. If you look into the whole Bible, there's an exception with Deborah, and I'm going to talk about that exception next week. And that's an exception where there's hardly any, there's no men at all. You know, so God will from time to time raise up a strong woman to provoke men to be men, and that's what Deborah tried to do. I'm, I'm going to thoroughly go over that so you understand that because people take that out of context and say, okay, well, uh, a woman can be a judge or a woman can be president of the United States or a woman can be a general in the army. No, no, that's not a woman's place. And I'm going to show that to you in the Bible uh, next week. But anyway, getting back to... Uh, now, there's nothing wrong with women, of course, uh, educating their children, having authority over their children, and teaching women. But there's there's no case in the Bible where a woman, other than the Deborah situation, and again, that, that's, that was an exceptional situation, where God looks at a woman to be an official spiritual leader or a leader in a governmental way over men. There's nowhere to be found in the Bible. And if it is found in the Bible, uh, like in case with Deborah, that's an exceptional situation, and, and uh, it's, it's a wicked situation, as, as with Jezebel, which I'm going to get into next week as well. When Jezebel was one of the most wicked women ever in the history of the world, it appears, according to the Bible. All right, now, there's another, well, actually, let me go to, uh, I already read that, let's go to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians, I really hope this uh, comes out to, to sound a lot clearer and if you really get something out of this, husbands or men, so those who are contemplating becoming a husband, I hope you get something out of this as well. Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. It states here, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. So that's very important too. We, we can't be bitter and we, we have to uh, not be negative so much. We should always try to smile even though they may say some things that is not worth smiling. We have to work on that and we have to be strong and we can't fail like Adam did. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their houses well. So that does not just apply to deacons. It applies to any husband. They should be a husband of one wife, and they should rule their children and their houses well. And when they rule their houses, you have a woman in the house. Okay, so that, <laughs> so that uh, is uh, biblical wisdom. And let's turn to a book called Wisdom from the Apocrypha not the Bible, 
but these this book is called wisdom for a reason there is some wisdom in these words just like any other book that you read it may not be the bible but it may have wisdom in it well this has wisdom in it and let's turn to wisdom and the apocrypha if you do have an apocrypha you can turn with me wisdom chapter three these are old jewish writings that uh were in the uh king james version they were taken out in the latter half or in the middle part of the uh 19th century wisdom chapter three starting in verse 10 wisdom chapter 3 verse 10 but the ungodly shall be punished according to their own imaginations which have neglected the righteous and forsaken the lord for whosoever despises wisdom and nurture he is miserable and their hope is vain their their labors unfruitful and their works unprofitable their wives are foolish and their children wicked their offspring is cursed wherefore blessed is the barren that is undefiled which have not known the sinful bed she shall have fruit in the visitation of souls. So what this is saying is that a man's leadership is very vital. And if the man don't lead properly, the wives can become foolish, although there are some wives that, that can be strong like Abigail. I'm going to talk about Abigail and don't become foolish. But the tendency is, is for wives to follow their, their husband's leadership and they become foolish. And then the children, of course, they become their exception with children. Some children see see. Uh, how wicked their parents are and they don't do the same thing that their parents do but the general norm is for children also to follow the leader's example uh, we have the case with the world the world is so wicked right now the reason why we have our so-called leaders doing wicked things like unfortunately uh, tiger wood he's supposed to be a, an example to blacks and, and, and other um, types of human races about how to be a good righteous uh, sportsman right well look what he did committed adultery and that is one of the things that will destroy destroy a marriage and destroy the children as i just read to you in the beginning of this program as far as the divorce statistics i feel sorry for tiger and i feel sorry for his wife especially if his wife was faithful to him and i, I really hope that they ellen learns how to forgive him and i hope that that Tiger realizes he has a serious problem if all this stuff is true. I know the adulterer is true. He admitted it. But I don't know if he has slept with all those other women. That remains to be seen. He hasn't said it. It wasn't true. So if that's true, regardless of whether that's true or not, he committed adultery. And one woman isn't enough. Okay? One woman is enough. And they need to, to really try to work things out because of the children. I'm sure that God would want that. Now, if Tiger is, is being stubborn from what I heard. I don't know if this is true or not that he has a, you know, he knows he has a sex problem, but he doesn't want to go through sexual uh, counseling and so forth that his wife had re recommended, then that's wrong. And I can understand why she would want a divorce if he doesn't want to change. I mean, it's, it's, he, he definitely has grounds for divorce based on what I just read to you in Matthew chapter 19. Uh, she has grounds for divorce. So I did, let's just pray for them and hope things that work out for him and not only tiger woods but it's a lot of other people in this country and worldwide that are going through stuff like that whether it's the woman committing adultery or the man committing adultery they both can commit adultery and help them to wake up and let's pray for, for those people that have bad marriages so that they can have good marriages all right so that's enough of tiger and let's hope that he repents now, 
I've covered a lot here in this program, and what we're going to do now is look at an example of of a bad husband, a real bad husband at that. <laughs> and I'm going to use the um, Bible basic version here. Uh, the Bible basic, I think it's the Bible, what is it? Let me see. Yeah, the Bible in basic English. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And we're talking about uh, Nabal. And he was one of the most wicked men in the Bible, too. And I have this book that I'm quoting from. It's called All the Men of the Bible. It's by Herbert Lockyer. It's H-E-R-B-E-R-T, L as in laughter, O-C-K as in kite, Y-E-R. And it's on page uh, 249, Nabal. His name means prominence or foolish. And a wealthy but churlish, and what is that word, churlish? I don't use that word too often, and I have my handy dictionary here. Uh, okay, so he was a rude, ill-bred person. So that's what he is. So he's a rude, ill-bred person. So, husband, you don't want to be that way. Expect your wife to respect you uh, like you would desire. A wealthy but churlish sheep master of man whose business was in Carmel. Okay, so it says right here in, on page 249. The man who was a fool by name and nature. Nabal is a striking illustration of a man with a name indicative of his nature. When David came to Nabal asking food for his hungry men, this churlish man refused. So he was rude and he didn't care. David set out to kill Nabal, but Abigail, his beautiful wife, pled for the life of her unworthy husband. What a contrast they afford. Abigail, so beautiful, and Nabal, so bestial, the beauty and the beast. Pleading for Nabal's life, Abigail said to David, as is his name, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. In effect, she said, pay no attention to my churlish husband. He's a fool by name and a fool by nature. After his drunken orgy, Nabal was told of David's threat to take his life, and he died of fright. David afterwards married Abigail, a woman of good understanding and who, as Edith Dean tells us in her most valuable handbook, All the Women of the Bible, was the greatest influence for good and helped David to remember that he was God's anointed and to whose keeping the kingdom of Israel had been entrusted. So this is found on page uh, 249 of All the Men of the Bible. I highly recommend that you get this and review it, uh, use it as a reference, or you can read the whole book. I use it as a reference uh, when I want to know of a particular man of the Bible, uh, so either a Bible study or personal Bible study or to prepare for a Bible study on the blog talk radio. So you don't want to be like Nabal, man. You don't want to be that way and don't care about people other than yourself and so forth. You don't want to be that way. So let's summarize what husbands should do. And I'm, I'm taking this information from what God has joined together, the Biblical Foundations for Marriage, is by Mr. Tim Hegg. And I'm giving him a plug here. He deserves one because he's written some, some very good materials, and you should check them out. Uh, again, this is called What God Has Joined Together, Biblical Foundations for Marriage by Tim Hegg, T-I-M-H-E-G-G. His website is www.torresource.com. It's www.tor, T as in Tom, O-R-A-H 
R-E-S-O-U-R-C-E.com. Again, it's www.torresource.com. Please uh, go to that website, and you should get this material. I have it, and I'm studying it, and there's some really good material on how to have a happy marriage. On page 47, this is the general characteristics of a righteous husband. First of all, faithfulness. Number one, remaining true to my promises or vows no matter what it costs. Sacrificing my own wants for the sake of meeting the needs of my wife. Learning to deny myself. Maturing in my faith and gaining spiritual strength. Keeping myself from the snares of, this, of the world. The snares of this world is simply the television, movies, sporting events, anything that gets your mind off of God. That is the snares of this world. Verse 6, not verse 6, number 6. Growing in courage and boldness to face the battles of life. So, again, um, number 1, let me go over this again. Faithfulness. Number 1, remaining true to my vows or promises no matter what, what it costs. Number two, sacrificing my own wants for the sake of meeting the needs of my wife. Three, learning to deny myself. Four, maturing in my faith and gaining spiritual strength. Five, keeping myself from the snares of the world. Six, growing in courage and boldness to face the battles of life. Caring is the next category. Number one, paying close attention to the needs of my wife. Number two, expressing gentleness as a part of manly strength. Number three, taking the initiative to restore broken communication. Four, building a deepening friendship by giving my wife priority. Next category is leading. Number one, taking the responsibilities of leadership in order to protect and nurture my wife. Two, bearing the responsibilities of finances. Three, taking the role of provider for my wife and family. Four, putting the spiritual health of my wife and family as a top priority. The last category is communicating. Number one, initiating regular times, and I mean regular times, of verbal communication with my wife. Two, opening my own life to my wife, including my weaknesses and fears. Three, trusting that my wife has been given to me by God in order to make me the man he wants me to be. These are very important general characteristics of a righteous husband. You husbands and you wives that have husbands that you know will listen, please give them this information have them listen to this Bible study. If any of you need marriage counseling, I'm willing to help you to the best of my ability. I'm married myself. Uh, I've been married to a beautiful woman for 15 years, or coming up to 15 years anyway, since 1994. Yeah, it has been 15 years. So I've been married to uh, my wife, and I have a son who's 14 years old. So not only do I have, I have experience in marriage, I also have experience in child rearing. And it doesn't make a difference how many kids you have. Uh, there's, a, there's a scripture that says if you can handle in little, you can handle in, in, in a lot. So I have one child, and I, I have the experience of raising this child, and he is uh, a teenager now, and he's, he gets straight A's. Uh, we homeschool him, and he plays tennis, and he's just a marvelous uh, specimen of a human being. And I'm glad to be his father, and uh, he, he's so much ahead of me where I was at when I was age 14, and he loves the Torah, and uh, he's still learning it, and he's progressing marvelously. And the same can happen for you as well, and I'm going to explain that in a future Bible study on how to raise your, your children properly. When you do it God's way, ladies and gentlemen, it's a lot simpler to doing it your way or doing it from some other 
so-called genius of, of child rearing, uh, someone that just totally does not recognize the Word of God. If you do it God's way, it's going to get done. I know. I know from experience. So I hope you've enjoyed this Bible study, and I hope it sounds a lot clearer than the other one that I gave. <laughs> and may God bless and keep you, and I will speak to you next week. And hopefully I'll be speaking to you next week, either through uh, this Real Player Real Audio, or I'll have my headset and you won't have any more problems with sound quality. Take care and may God bless you.